often get emails that has this phrase, I just don't see. I just don't see how this is going to happen. I just don't see where this is going. I just don't see what's going on. That phrase, I don't see, is a phrase of hopelessness. We're in a series where we're taking a look at people who feel hopeless that need a breakthrough. And folks, breakthroughs happen through our vision, through sight. How you see things determines everything in your life. It will determine your success. It will determine your stress. It will determine your stability. It determines everything in your life. It determines how you see God, how you see your past, your present, your future, how you see sex, how you see money, how you see your strengths and weaknesses. Everything in life is affected by your perspective. That is why Jesus said in Matthew 6, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is good, then your whole body is filled full of light. If your eye is bad, then your whole body is filled full of darkness. Now, I think it's pretty obvious that he's talking more, that he's, he's talking about more than just physical sight. He's talking about vision. He's talking about perspective. He's talking about seeing with spiritual eyes. In other words, he's saying, you and I need God's perspective with what we're going through. To have God's perspective is called wisdom. It is seeing things from God's point of view. And one of my goals as your pastor, who loves you, is to help you grow in wisdom. Because none of us sees the whole picture. We all have a limited perspective. We have a cloudy vision. We have lack of clarity. But God doesn't. This weekend, I want to address this issue out of a story in Mark chapter 8 where Jesus does a miracle and has a conversation with the disciples to explain it to them. And he uses three things to help them to see clearly. He uses a misunderstanding, he uses a miracle, and he uses a critical question to help them understand what they are supposed to be and what they are supposed to do with their life. So here is my question to you. How do you handle situations when you can't see your way through it? When this pandemic first started, it was just going to be a blizzard. Here today, gone tomorrow. But now it has turned into a winter season. And folks, it's possible that it could turn into an ice age that changes everything for a long while. How do you handle situations when you can't see your way through it? Well, first, you have to address the misunderstanding. This is exactly what Jesus did with the disciples. Now, let me give you a little background here. Jesus is in his third year of ministry. Everybody knows that Jesus is this miracle worker, that he is this healer. In fact, his two biggest and greatest miracles was the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. Right after he fed 4,000 in a miraculous way, Pharisees address him. Now, we all know about the Pharisees. They hated Jesus. They were jealous of him. They were envious of him. 
They were all about rules, regulations, and rituals. And so they addressed him and tried to trap him with a doctrinal question. Maybe that has happened to you. It happens to me often. But Jesus never wasted his time on legalists. And so he splits the scene. He leaves uh, in a boat with his disciples. And this is where we pick up the story. Mark chapter 8, verse 13 and following. Then Jesus got into the boat and crossed to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. The disciples discussed why uh, Jesus had said this, and they decided it was because they had, hadn't brought bread with them. Now let's stop here in this story. Obviously, the disciples totally miss the point. The disciples are thinking, why should we be worried about yeast when we don't have any flour, any dough, any bread in the boat? This was pretty typical for the disciples. They were dull. They were clueless. They were one fry short of a happy meal. They didn't understand that Jesus was using yeast as a metaphor for life. He re they really thought that he was speaking literally. Let's jump back into the story. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your minds closed? You have eyes, but you don't really see. You have ears, but you don't really listen. Remember when I divided five loaves of bread for the 5,000? How many baskets did you fill with leftover pieces of food? And they said, 12. And when I divided seven loaves of bread for the 4,000, how many baskets did you fill with the leftover pieces of food? And they said, seven. Then Jesus said, and you still don't understand yet? You guys have eyes, but you don't see. You have ears, but you don't hear. And to help them understand this, he gives them a quiz. He says, how many ba baskets of leftovers were there after the feeding of the 5,000 men? How many baskets of, of leftovers were there after the feeding of 4,000 men? Now understand this. This is important. Folks, they got the answers right. They said, hey, with the 5,000, we got 12 baskets. Uh, with the 4,000, we've got uh, seven baskets left over. Folks, they got the answer right, but they didn't get it. Here is the point. You can know all of the Bible and still not get it. I know some people who know all of the answers to all of the questions in the Bible, and they still don't get it. They have memorized the Bible frontwards and backwards, and they still don't get it. Jesus one time addressed the Pharisees and said, you know what you, your problem is? You don't know the scriptures and the power of God. And that was an insult to them. Because the Pharisees memorized the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, word perfect. And so what Jesus was saying to them is that you can know the content of the Bible. You can know the stories. 
You can know about Jonah. You can know about Moses. You can know about Elijah. You can know the stories, but you can still be out of the loop. So I want you to write this down. Every miracle has a message to it. In both of these miracles, Jesus is trying to teach the disciples something and not just meet a need. And they didn't get it. They couldn't see it clearly. And so I want you to write this down. Blindness is a metaphor for a closed mind. That is important to understand. Blindness is a metaphor for a closed mind. And you and I need to get this because in a moment we're going to be taking a look at another miracle. The healing of a blind man. And Jesus does this to teach some truths about our closed minds. The Bible teaches that physical sight is often a metaphor for spiritual sight. This was the problem with the disciples. They're dense, they're dull, they're confused. They are one fry short of a happy meal. What is keeping them from seeing clearly? Let me put us into the story. Why can't I see what my problem is in life? Why can't I see what my problem is in my marriage? Why can't I see what my problem is with my family and, and, and trying to understand where my kids should be schooled at? Folks, there are three barriers that keep you and I from seeing clearly, and we see them in this story. The first one is simply this, pride. When I am prideful, I can't see what God is doing in my life and what God is wanting to do in and through my life. Jesus said, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees. Yeast is a metaphor for arrogance or pride. Why is that? Well, what does yeast do? It puffs up. In fact, a little bit of yeast will go a long ways of puffing up some dough in order to, for it to become fluffy white bread. Well, the same is true with pride. A little goes a long ways, and oftentimes pride blows things up. Now, I know this may shock you, but there are times when Cheryl and I get in arguments with one another, okay? She, she's wrong all the time, but we have arguments. Oh, just kidding, okay? You understand that I'm generally the one that's wrong. And that's because when I come home, sometimes I am in a nitpicky mood. And I will choose some small thing, and I will blow it out of proportion. Guess what that's called? That is called pride. When you blow things out of proportion, you are filled with pride. And pride prevents you from seeing things clearly. The second barrier to seeing things clearly is simply this, short-term thinking. It's the second barrier. When I'm focusing on just the here and now. 
When I am thinking about my current comforts and not my long-term character. When I'm thinking about my happiness and not my holiness. When I am thinking about my success and not my surrender to God. Folks, that is short-term thinking. This is what the disciples were doing. They were thinking about lunch, and Jesus was thinking about life. They were thinking about bread, and Jesus was thinking about behavior. They were thinking about a meal, and Jesus was thinking about maturity. This is a huge problem in our world today. People are short-sighted. And we see it from the individual all the way up the, 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 the ladder to the highest in government. We spend more than what we bring in. And it creates all kinds of debt. We, we want to enjoy today at the, at the sacrifice of tomorrow. Short-term thinking is a barrier to seeing things clearly. The third barrier is short-term memory. It's forgetting the past. Jesus is talking with these disciples, and he brings up these two miracles to remind them of who's in the boat with them. You guys are worried about lunch, but who's in the boat with you? What's happened? They've forgotten. How quickly we forget. We forget our lineage. We forget our heritage. We forget our upbringing. We forget what God has done in our past. God does something good. And what we do is we forget about it. We forget that he's answered prayer or that he's bailed us out of something or he has helped us with something. And then when the next problem comes up, we act as if it never happened in our whole lifetime. We forget that God is in the boat with us. So I want you to write this down. When you have a short-term memory, you start to worry about the tomorrows. Like I said, your perspective will affect everything in your life. It will affect your success, and folks, it will affect your stress. Proverbs 29, 18 says, without a vision, people perish. In other words, without a vision, people are hopeless. When you don't see clearly, when you don't have a vision for your family during a pandemic, when you don't have a vision for your career, for your health, for your marriages, guess what? You will lose hope. Without a vision, people perish. When you can't see your way clearly, guess what? It means you don't have a vision. You don't have a vision for your life. You don't have a vision for your family. When you can't see your way through it, folks, you're going to lose hope. The reality is this. Nobody knows how long this pandemic is going to last. No one can predict it. 
Many thought that it was going to be like a winter blizzard, here today and gone tomorrow, but now it is a winter season. And folks, it could be an ice age. In other words, it could be a long time that changes the cir- or changes our environment and our behaviors for years and years and years to come. No one knows. And what you and I need is we need to have hope. And where do you get hope? You get it from vision. Here is my prayer for our spiritual family. Ephesians 1 verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Folks, at life point, we have a vision. And it hasn't been talked about much because we had to pivot with this pandemic. But we have been seeking to implement it. And it's all in the acrostic of doors. We want to discover our our, 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 our successor for LifePoint, our new pastor. We want to obey the Great Commission and, and continue to fulfill our commitments to Haiti and the Philippines and Cameroon. We want to outshine the darkness by being in community so as to be what God wants us to be, not just do what he wants us to do, but to be. He, we want to uh, reach our community. And we want S, we want to serve people who are in pain. And guess what? That has been our vision all the way through this pandemic. God says, I want you to have my perspective on life because it will give you hope. I would say this, the staff has never been better as we have sought to implement this vision, even during this time. Now let's look at this miracle. Mark 8, 22, it starts. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. And Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. Jesus is going to use this miracle to do two things. First, he's going to use it to teach three conditions for a miracle. And then secondly, he's going to use it to teach three lessons about seeing with spiritual eyes or having a spiritual vision. First, three conditions for a miracle. I want you to circle in that verse the words brought and begged. People brought a blind man to Jesus. The first thing that needs to happen in order to experience a miracle, is this. Miracles happen when somebody cares. This guy was blind, and he had to be brought to Jesus. He couldn't get there on his own. Jesus didn't seek him out. Someone obviously cared enough for this blind guy to take them to Jesus. Now, this is called, um, it's called in intercession, And what is intercession? It is when you bring somebody to Jesus through prayer on their behalf. Literally, thousands of people have had their lives changed because of this church. Why? Because you, through your prayers, 
in this virtual word, texting 94,000 and letting us know who you want us to pray for. As you are praying with them, we are praying with you. People's lives have changed. That is why I love this church. I love it. I love you. Because you care for people. This week, or several weeks ago, I should say, there was a woman walking down the hallway, a, a, a volunteer, and I could tell that they weren't feeling well, and I asked them, how are they doing? And they just said, okay, and generally their answer was, great. And I could hear that they weren't doing well. And they informed me that they had some water on their lungs. And as that person looked at me, and I was looking at them, in this pandemic time, I said, do you want a hug? And do you want a prayer? And they said, yes. And I hugged them, and I embraced them, and I prayed for them. And then the next day, the whole team of people started to surround this individual to care for them. I love this church because we care for people. And at life point, we will bring and we will beg because we want good for people and we want it to be for the glory of God. And so here is my question to you. For those of you who are watching virtually, who are you going to invite to the next online service as I continue to talk about miracles and breakthroughs. I hope you have someone on mind. In fact, I hope you share it with our virtual community. Share it, who you're going to bring, just their first name. You don't have to go into specifics so that we can begin praying for them by name because that's when miracles begin to happen. Oftentimes, God is waiting on you to do a miracle in someone else's life. The second thing is this. Miracles happen when we get close to Jesus. Obviously, you can't be touched by Jesus in this story unless you're close. So what's the point? Simply this. Healing doesn't come in our lives through rules, regulations, and rituals. It comes through a relationship with Jesus. The more I get to know Jesus, the more God's healing is able to happen, folks, in my own life. It is so interesting to me as you study miracles, especially of Jesus, is that he never did a healing rally. He never did a healing from a stage with a huge audience to show off. He never did that. Every single healing Jesus did was an, an interruption. It was unplanned. And it was done privately and it was done personally. I want you to get that. Does that make sense? It is done privately and it is done personally. Miracles happen when someone cares. Miracles happen when you get close to Jesus. And thirdly, miracles happen when we trust Jesus to lead us. If this guy had not allowed Jesus to lead him out of the village, guess what? That miracle would have never happened. 
But Jesus takes this guy by the hand. Do you see how personal this is? It's not just a shout, hey, you, over there, oh, come over here. No, it's personal. Jesus takes this person by the hand, and he leads them out of the city. Why? Because Jesus didn't want a crowd so as to show off. He is saying, let's do this personally, and let's do this privately. Let's have a one-on-one conversation. Now imagine this blind dude. Folks, he doesn't know who is holding his hand. He doesn't know where he's being taken to. He doesn't know how long it's going to take to get there. Some of you feel that way right now in this pandemic. You thought it was going to be short term, but now it is a season and it could be an ice age. And you have no idea who is in control. You have no idea who he really is. And you don't know what he's going to do. You don't know where he's going to take you. And you don't know how long it's going to take. Congratulations. You are ready for a miracle. What is happening in this story? This is called a walk of faith. It is when you can't see, but God sees. God sees, and God sees you. He knows who you are. He knows you by name. He knows what you're going through. And he cares, and he can do something about it. And he does for this blind dude. And what he does is unusual and it is unique. Jesus, with his miracles, would often speak and it would happen. Like, be healed. And they would instantaneously be healed. But this time, he spits in this guy's eye. Now, folks, I think that is unique. And it is unusual because generally Jesus' miracles happen like that. But this one happens in stages. It doesn't happen all at once. This is a progressive miracle. He could have done it like that. But he chose not to. Why? Because he's wanting to teach the disciples a lesson about spiritual vision and at the same time bring healing into this guy's life. So let's take a look at this. Mark 8, 23 through 26. It first says, Jesus spit on the man's eyes. Now, That's unusual. That's unique. In fact, I would say this. It is gross. Why did Jesus do this? I got the answer. It's this. I don't know, so let's move on. I don't don't know why he did that, but he did, okay? And then he put his hands on him and then asked, do you see anything? The man looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. Now, let's stop there. Jesus asked this guy a question. Can you see anything? The guy's kind of saying, yeah, I'm beginning to see some things. I, I I see some people, and they look like trees. Jesus is not satisfied with incomplete vision. Folks, he wants complete vision. 
And so it says, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes a second time. Then his eyes were opened fully. His sight was restored completely. And he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't go back into town. What is it that we learn from this miracle? We learn three things. We learn three things about seeing life clearly. And the first thing is this, that your spiritual vision grows in stages. Folks, it doesn't happen instantaneously. It it happens in increments. It's a process. It's gradual. It has taken me 44 years of walking with Jesus to have the spiritual eyes that I have right now. If I could give you a pill to make you see instantaneously, folks, I would do it. I would absolutely do it, but I can't. Spiritual vision, spiritual insight, wisdom grows through stages. That is why at LifePoint, we have a process. Uh, the fun way of saying it is we bring them in, we build them up, we train them for, and we send them out rawhide. We, we get people committed to Christ and to the church, his family. And then we get them connected with others in community so that they can grow. And then we train them to use their gifts to serve people in the church and outside the church. And then we help people share their stories. It's a process. That's why when you read the Bible, just don't read the Bible from one in one cover to the next and say, okay, I've read the Bible. No, you read it little by little, line by line, precept by precept, story by story, with a different theme every time you read it. And guess what? You just start growing and catching the vision little by little. My dream and my hope for LifePoint, for us, is that Five years from now, you will see yourself as a result of this process and the dream that we have, that you will see yourself more clearly, that you will see God more clearly, that you will see what matters most more clearly. The second thing that we learn about seeing clearly is that the test of my vision is how I see other people. Folks, it's the number one way that you know that you're seeing life from God's perspective. And it is God's number one test of your maturity. Your maturity isn't measured by how much of the Bible that you've read. It's not measured by church attendance. It's not measured by you watching online. It's not measured by your giving. It's measured through your relationships. Because life is all about love. That's all it is. Loving God and loving others. So let me ask you some pointed questions. Do you see your spouse the way God does? As valuable, as acceptable, as lovable, as forgivable? How do you see people in your relational world? Do you see them as rivals as irritations, as burdens, you're just a pain in the blessed assurance. Do you see them as enemies? At life point, our value is simple. We value every person. Everyone matters to God. I don't care who you are. You may be 
You may be white, you may be black. You may be Asian, you may be, uh, who knows? It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter who you've done it with. It doesn't matter how, long, how many times you've done it. There is no insignificant person at LifePoint. None, none whatsoever. When Jesus saw the crowds, it says that his, he was filled with compassion. Are you there yet? Are you at that level of maturity when you look at a crowd of people, maybe at the mall or on the freeway and it's stacked? Where are you at? My hope and my dream is that we as a church will look at people the way Jesus looked at them, with compassion. Spiritual vision happens in stages. The test of a spiritual vision is how I see other people. And then the third thing, it's Jesus who heals my sight. And he does it in three ways. When Jesus touches your life, three things are going to happen to your vision. The first one is this, that your focus gets sharper. Notice in the story, it says his eyes were opened fully. Literally in the Greek, it means he fixed his focus. My point is this. When you have been touched by God, your life will become more focused. You will become more purpose-driven. If you are a person that is here, there, and everywhere else, guess what? You need to be touched by God. The second thing is that your perspective gets larger. It says that his sight was restored completely. In other words, he had full vision. All of a sudden, he was able to see the big picture. He was able to see and have a full perspective. It's kind of like looking at a mosaic picture. When you are up close, all you see are the little squares, the little pieces of tile. It's only as you step back that you're able to see the big picture. Here's my point, and I want I want you to get this in the right vein. Don't be myopic and just watch the news. I don't care if it's CNN or Fox News, whatever is your choice, it's up to you. Don't just watch the news. In fact, I would encourage you to limit it because all that it does is it creates doubt and fear and confusion and, and it drains you of hope because you're myopic. You need to step away from it in order to get God's perspective. And the third thing that Jesus does when he touches you is that your vision gets clearer. It's not cloudy, it's not corrupted, it becomes clearer. Now, how do I get that? By having this attitude. Notice Job 34, verse 32. Teach me what I cannot see, and if I've done wrong, I won't do it again. That is the attitude 
In fact, I would say this. That should be the prayer that you have when you don't see things clearly. When you are in your car and you are driving to work and you, don't, and you can't see what's going on vocationally, career-wise, at your workplace, you need to stop and you need to pray, Lord, teach me what I cannot see. When you are in an argument with your spouse, you need to stop and you need to pray, Lord, teach me what I cannot see. When you are in a situation, you can't see what you need to do with your kids, with your family, in the way of schooling, you need to stop and you need to say, Lord, teach me what I cannot see. I cannot tell you how many times in these last five months with this pandemic, I have stopped and said, Lord, just help me to see what I cannot see right now. Help me to know what questions I do not, I am not asking myself right now. God, help me to see what's next for our spiritual family. I want us to fulfill the vision. I want us to grow in wisdom. And so Jesus takes a misunderstanding. He takes a miracle. And then finally, he uses a clarifying question to correct the disciples' vision. In verse 27 of Mark 8 and following, it says, Then Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi, on the, way he asked, on the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? And they replied, some say you are John the Baptist. Okay. The reason for that is that John's head was buried differently from his body. But guess what? His disciples found it. And they got back together, so to speak. And so when Jesus shows up on the scene, Herod is thinking, oh my goodness, John the Baptist has resurrected from the dead. That's why people thought that maybe Jesus was John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and still others say you're the one, one of the other prophets. But what about you, Jesus asked? Who do you say I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the Messiah. People like to believe everything about Jesus except what he said about himself and who he was. You're Baptist. You're John the Baptist. You're Elijah, some other prophet. Everyone wants to believe something about Jesus except who he is. And I don't want this to be a shock, but Jesus never described himself as a nice guy. He was nice. He never described himself as a great teacher, though he was the best. He never described himself as, as a good prophet, though he was the, the prophet, right? He described himself as, as God. I am. I am who I say I am. I am the Son of God. Why did he ask this question to his disciples? Because how you see Jesus affects everything in your life. If Jesus wasn't who he said he was, folks, he was the biggest con man ever. C.S. Lewis said he is either Lord, liar, or lunatic because he never gave us any other option than this one. I am the I am. I'm God in the flesh. I'm God's son. And if he is who he said he is, 
He deserves your full allegiance, your full trust. He deserves all of your love. When life doesn't make sense and you have no earthly idea what's going on with your job, when you don't know what to do with your kids in the way of their education, when you don't know what's going on and can't see clearly about your health, what God does is this. He's personal and he's private. And he takes you by the hand and he says, come with me. Let's have a one-on-one conversation. And I will do a miracle in your life. Church, this is what I want for you. We don't know how long this is going to last. This may be an ice age, but we have a God who knows who we are and he knows what we're going through and he cares and he can do something about it. He can give us spiritual eyes. I want you to bow your heads right now because some of you are as blind, if I can say this, as bats. And you know a lot about Jesus. You know the stories, okay? You may even know this story. But you don't get it. Because you don't have a relationship with Him. And I want you to bow your heads. And I want you to drop Him from your head to your heart. By just saying this. Bow your heads and just say this. God, right now, I get it. That it's not just about, it's not about rules and regulations and rituals. It is about a relationship with you. And I haven't been close with you. But thank you for taking me by my hand. And speaking to me personally and privately. God, thank you that you died on the cross for all of my pride all of the decisions that I made just for myself and that you resurrected to prove that what you said I could take to the bank that you're God and that they are forgiven God thank you for that forgiveness God open my eyes little by little that I might see who is with me and that you are working in me and through me for your glory for my good and for And if you prayed that prayer, would you just let me know? Will you just text 94,000, the word new start, and let me know you've made a commitment the first time with Christ, and I will get you some literature. If you are recommitting your life to Christ, hey, that is great. We all need times where we pause and we ask ourselves, hey, am I going in the right direction? I need to change the direction that I'm going to. You can text 94,000 in the word new start as well and just say, I'm, I, I'm recommitting my life. And we will help you with that. Church, let's pray. Will you 
text 94000 and give us a prayer request, maybe for yourself or maybe for someone else because miracles happen when you bring people to the throne of God. God begins to work. Lord, we thank you that you're an awesome God and that when we feel hopeless because of what we're going through, you care, you're aware, and you do something about it. Continue to teach us as we travel down this road. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.